So uh, anybody's bracket busted yet? It's the basketball tournament for those of y'all who are like, what? what is he talking about? Okay, just making sure we have a few of those fans out there. So well, let me go another route. Pretty much all of us are affected by a company called Apple, right? Is that true? Okay. Um, uh, it's not a day that we don't go by without being affected by our phones, our computers, all those things out there. But interesting story, Robert Kringley wrote a book called Accidental Empires, and he talks about the early days of, of Apple in, uh, in the 1970s, and it had grown beyond the point of just a couple of employees or, or at least employees who all knew each other just by the site. So it was decided, like all grown-up companies, that they needed to have name badges at Apple now. So as in the corporate way, it was deemed that these badges should be numbered, and as corporate lore decrees, the number assigned would be based on the order that the employees actually had joined the company. So he writes in his book, Steve Wozniak was declared employee number one, which meant Steve Jobs was number two, and so on. But Steve Jobs was not happy about being number two. He wanted to be number one. He didn't want to be second at anything, and he argued that rather than Woz should have the sacred number one, since they were co-founders of the company, and Jay became before W in the alphabet, so Steve Jobs says he should be number one. But that plan was rejected, so then he argued that the number zero had not been assigned yet, and since zero came before one, he would happily take that number, and he got it, and he did. Now, we laugh about that, but that's kind of the way of the world, isn't it? We want to be number one, and you do whatever you have to do to be number one, to be on top. And even if someone else has that role, even if somebody else has that position, figure out a way around them to promote yourself. And you think about it and you say, well, ambition, that's just part of being human. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with wanting to be the best at something, wanting to achieve success at the highest level? What's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that unless you're really a true follower of Jesus Christ, right? And then there's a different way you live in a much different way. And Paul wrote to the Philippians in that first century. He said, Jesus, who being in very nature God, we're going to read this in our um, communion passage today, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality something to be grasped or to hold held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. From the very beginning, Jesus was different. He had the power, he had the authority, but he didn't use it like everybody else. So we're going to continue our journey through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark, and we're going to continue our series one day, or day one, you decide. And we're going to look at another incident where Jesus was not just talking when he predicted about his early death. Jesus knew from day one, that Jesus had sent him to the earth to die for all of humanity's sin. He knew that, and he never lost sight of that. And he knew that he was going to serve, and he was going to be that ransom for many, as we'll hear about in our text today. And that one day he would go to the cross, and that one day of going to the cross, as we've been going through Mark, it's getting closer and closer, isn't it? Jesus is getting closer to that day as we approach Resurrection Sunday. And Jesus was not avoiding this. He knew this is why he came. And he was talking specifically about it. And he heads straight to Jerusalem where all he has predicted about his death will happen in Jerusalem. 
But before we get into our path today, I want to just back up a little bit to a couple of things Jesus did right before this. Um, and a lot of you may know there's, in, in many of the Gospels, they talk about the children that were being brought to Jesus. And as they were being brought to Jesus, some of the disciples says, Hey, Jesus doesn't have time for little kids. Y'all, get on. He's got more important things to do. And Mark is the only Gospel writer that said he was, that Jesus was indignant when the disciples did this. He goes, What are you doing? Bring them to me. They are valuable. They matter to me, and I have time for them. Don't tell them I don't have time for them. Because I do. And so Jesus took them in his arms and he blessed them and showed that they mattered. And then right after that, as we read in in Mark's gospel and a lot of the gospels, there's this encounter Jesus has with somebody on a totally different realm. You have the kids who everybody in society says, well, Jesus doesn't have time for them. But there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks him, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. What does it say? He goes, well, you know, and he rattles off some of the Ten Commandments. And he says, I've obeyed these since I was a child. And Jesus goes, well, that's great. You only lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and then come follow me. And the young man couldn't do it. Jesus was very lovingly but pointedly challenging him that all his wealth had gotten away and if he had gotten in the way of his relationship with God and if he really wanted to have that, he would have to give it all away to the poor and come follow Jesus. But the young man couldn't do it. And as the rich young ruler walked away sad that day, we don't see Jesus running after him and go, hold on a second, how about half? How about a quarter of your stuff? No, Jesus just lets it sit there. He lets the young man decide if he will change his behavior and choose to reject the standard that, or, or choose to reject the standard that Jesus has just given him. He basically says, start day one of following me or walk away and say, maybe one day, but not today. And so he did. And there's an interesting conversation that follows when this young man walks away from Jesus and being a follower. The disciples are kind of like, what? How can he walk away from that? The children left Jesus very satisfied for simply his acknowledging them and spending time with them and blessing them. They have nothing but themselves to give to Jesus. And that's all that Jesus really asks of us, isn't it? Is ourselves. And really, when we think about it, y'all, that's all we have to give to Jesus is ourselves. All this stuff and things that we have that we think we possess, we really don't possess that. It possesses us, doesn't it? And Jesus really just wants us. But the young man, unlike the children, doesn't go away satisfied. He leaves sad because he had great wealth and he couldn't give that up. And we just read uh, just the other week, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet what? Forfeit his soul. And it seems that he was willing to forfeit his soul. And the disciples, by their questions, show they are still works in the process. They can't believe Jesus let the rich young man get away. Jesus, you do realize he's young, he's rich, and he's a ruler. He could fund our mission. Why are you letting him get away? And they're surprised because Jesus says it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're saying, then who can be saved? Because, see, they had this crazy theology in that culture that says, if people are wealthy and they're successful, that must mean that they've been righteous and the two were connected. And Jesus goes, no, that's not right. And Jesus overturned the value structure of not only that culture, but he continues to overturn the structure of our culture and the world by teaching and living out humility 
and service. And Jesus showed by example what brings God's kingdom to the world and what brings people to life. It's serving. It's humility. And Jesus also reminded the disciples that there was this future reversal because they're going, but we've given up all these things. What's going to happen to us? And Jesus goes, I know you've given up all these things. And there will be this future reversal and all these things that you have given up, you'll be given even more. But right now, this is the way we're going for the sake of the gospel, giving these things up. And many in Jesus' time still lived under the old theology and mindset. And Jesus is is sharing, if you will, as he said, this new wine. And that could not and cannot be contained in the old wineskins of thinking. And the disciples still didn't quite understand Jesus' mission or his messiahship of suffering and dying and resurrecting from the dead. They looked at a reigning, at a ruling, and a power-wielding Messiah that would force God's kingdom into reality on those Romans that really didn't want it anyway. But our text shows today that Jesus emphasizing to his disciples and future followers, you have to understand this is the type of Messiah that I am. This is the real mission of God's kingdom, and you have to understand it's different from the world. The two do not go together. There is an impasse there, and you have to understand that. So we're going to look at Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 32 through 45, and that's going to be on the screen, and you can use it on your Apple devices or whatever you have there with you this morning. So Mark says this, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be your servant, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in this text today, we read that Jesus is telling his disciples for the third time. We read a, 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 about a week ago or last week about this first time Jesus talks about it. And remember when and Peter goes, no, that'll never happen to you. And he's going, get behind me, Satan. No, Jesus has made it very clear. And then before we get to this passage, Jesus has told his disciples again in detail, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. And now, even in more detail, Jesus says a third time, this is where I'm headed. 
this is where I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be flogged and spit upon and I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise on the third day. And though they hear this, they don't really hear it. Though they hear this, they're disturbed, but they don't really understand. And Mark tells us in the second time, he tells them that they didn't understand, but they were afraid to ask him any questions about it. But Jesus is not shying away from what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He was heading that way. He was leading his disciples to the very place that he has predicted his death. And Mark tells us that not only is Jesus leading, but did you catch this in the very first part of our text today? The disciples were astonished and those following were afraid. Well, why are the disciples astonished? What are they astonished about? Why are the other people that are following Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem, why are they afraid? What are they afraid of? Well, the twelve may have been astonished at Jesus' demeanor and submission, even though he knows he's going to die. How could he be so determined to head to Jerusalem when he knows that what awaits him is this, this awful suffering? If you know they're going to kill you in Jerusalem, here's an idea. Don't go. They don't understand. Well, why are we heading that way, Jesus? But they maybe are astonished at his obedience to his heavenly father. They're astonished that Jesus was so focused on his mission of dying on the cross, of his sacrifice, of his ransoming his life for many. Maybe that's what they're astonished about, even when they don't understand. And then it says the other followers that are following him up to Jerusalem are afraid. Why are they afraid? For maybe what lays ahead for themselves. Hey, if I'm associated with Jesus and he's getting ready to go through all this suffering and this death, then guess what? Maybe I'll be associated with him. I'll be arrested and I could be killed. And so they're afraid. Should I still be following Jesus? John MacArthur said the word fearful is basically a word that refers to a kind of fear that is a baffling kind of fear. There was some confusion with them. And the, the people that are following Jesus, they're still kind of caught up in this messianic idea of Judaism is ultimately going to be on top and on top of Rome. And that he's going to set up his kingdom. And yet they've heard all these things that he's saying now about his death. And their hope is very low and they're baffled and they're confused. It's that kind of fear. Why is he doing this? Why is he walking into this deadly danger? And he not only knew what was coming by prophetic scripture, but Jesus also has a perfect knowledge of his interpretation. And he was coming by that by his personal omniscience, knowing that this is what God sent him to do. So Mark tells us Jesus, as he has before, after the second time he gave them this uh, message. They, he heard them on the road one day talking and they were arguing about who was the greatest. And they didn't know Jesus heard what they were talking about. But Jesus says, hey, what were you guys talking about on the road over here? And they were all kind of looking at their feet. Oh, nothing. Um. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. And he sat them down then and says, you, you got to understand this. This is not about power and authority. You've got to be different. You're to be servants. You're to be humble servants. So Jesus sees that what's going on again and he takes them aside and he knows there's fear there he knows there's this feelings of why are we going to Jerusalem and he tells them again you know why I'm going to Jerusalem I'm going to tell you a third time the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him spit on him flog him and kill him and three days later he will rise and this time no one 
questions Jesus when he says this. No objections. Peter goes, well, I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to be called Satan again. Get behind me. They just listen to Jesus. And they don't say anything. They don't ask any questions. Which makes the next scenario in Mark seem a little weird. Because he says, then... We don't know how long the then was, but James and John, sons of Zebedee, come up to him and say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And basically, they ask to be, we want to be your right and left-hand men. We want to be number one and two right there next to you, Jesus. And Jesus is going, do you really understand what you're asking? Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm to be baptized? Jesus is talking about drinking this cup of immense suffering he's about to drink. And he's talking about being baptized. And that word we know in Greek is baptism is to be fully immersed. And he says, are you going to be fully immersed into suffering like I'm getting ready to do? Are you ready for that? Can you do that? And they seemingly say without hesitation, oh yeah, we can. We're ready to do that. And Jesus said to them, you will drink that cup and you will be baptized with that baptism. But to sit at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. That's already been decided, y'all. But Jesus doesn't scold them. And maybe he doesn't scold them or get on to them about their selfish and self-centeredness and missing the point because the ten heard about this and they're not happy. And they do enough scolding. It says they become indignant. There's that word again that Mark used when Jesus was indignant. And the Greek word here actually means to be greatly grieved, violently irritated. You ever been violently irritated? Y'all are laughing because it happens a lot, doesn't it? Especially when we're driving, right? We're violently irritated. So we can think. And it also was used for fermenting wine, that same term. And we understand how wine ferments, right? It sits And it starts to ferment, and that's what happens inside of us. We're irritated, and that irritation just keeps growing inside of us and growing inside of us, and it comes out. And we're indignant because we've let it fester inside of us for so long. So this has built up inside. But why are they indignant? Why are the other ten disciples indignant with James and John? Is it because of their request is so selfish and they miss the whole point of Jesus and his kingdom? It's not about that. They're really mad because James and John beat them to the punch. They asked Jesus if they could be the right and left-hand man first. And Jesus understands this. And again, he sits them down and he uses this as a teaching opportunity to explain the way God's kingdom works. It doesn't work like the world, y'all. you got to get that through your head. God's kingdom is not about one person being subordinate to another person or one race being subordinate to another race. Jesus mentions the Gentile system specifically. He says, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority. Not so with you. I want us to try to let those four words kind of sink in this morning. Not so with you. Because we're the you here he's talking to. Not so with you. And as much as I know that's true... Jesus made it clear in his controversies with the Jewish religious leaders about their hypocritical power plays. And now he specifically mentions the Gentile rulers and how they do it. Specifically referring to this Roman system that they are a part of and they all hate it. They've lived through it and they hate it. 
But what's sad about this, and Jesus is trying to point out to them, you don't like this system of ruling over people, but you want to be on my right and left so that when you get into power, when I get into my glory, then you can rule over the Romans. You want to do the same thing that you're mad at them about to them. And if I ask any of you this morning about a time when someone treated you inferior or lorded over you, I bet every one of you could come up with a time And you could tell me the person and you can tell me how you felt and that did not feel good. And you remember your feelings and how it made you feel insignificant and maybe made you indignant. And yet as much as I remember that and how bad it made me feel, there's still something inside of me and you that says, you know what, I want to do that to others, especially the ones that did it to me. I want to lord over them. And every time I start doing this, I hear Jesus say those four words, not so with you. Not so with me? Yes, you. We are to be different. We're holy. We're set apart in the world, but not of the world. But we get caught up in all of that power struggle. Philosopher Frederick Nietzsche said this, What distinguishes man from animals is not our ability to think, But the will to power, the drive within every human being to conquer, to climb the ladder, to reach the highest place of exaltation. Some theologians have argued that sin is simply virtue run amok because God plants in the heart of every creature an aspiration for significance. But we bend that good aspiration into a desire to dominate others. Isn't that true? What is it about us? And history shows that over and over again That it can work for a while. Yeah, you can lord over people and they'll do what you say and you can control them, right? Isn't that how the world has worked through the beginning of history? But there's a problem with that because it does not produce citizens who comply out of love, does it? They comply out of what? Fear. The only reason I'm obeying this, the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm fearful That I'll lose my life, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my family, whatever it is. And so we just day after day live in that kind of environment. And ultimately, they become indignant, don't they? And people ultimately rebel. We've seen it throughout history. They've had enough of that form of government or whatever it is, and they rebel. But here's what happens, as we've seen in history. When they do win and they overthrow those who lord it over them, guess what? Now they're in power, and guess what they do soon after? They lord it over the next group. And it goes on and on, and the cycle continues. Well, Jesus knew this, and he knows this. Why? Because he's watched history from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he's watched all this unfold. And he said, in the Garden of Eden, that was never, ever what I had planned for my people. Because when we see the perfect garden, and Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with Jesus, with God, the Creator, they were walking together as a relationship, not as someone lording over, but they decided to choose to try to be God themselves, and it broke that relationship. So he gives the disciples and us a day one solution to start changing the system in our culture and changing the world. 
And he says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I know there's some of the disciples who were saying, we're tired of being servants, Jesus. We're tired of being slaves. Rome had us under, and Jesus goes, you just don't understand, do you? Even if they weren't over you, you have to understand what God's kingdom is all about. And how do people see us in our life? When they look at you, when they see you coming, do they think, oh good, this person's coming and they're a servant. I know they're going to help. Or do they go, oh boy, here we go. They're going to point out something wrong. They're going to point I didn't do it right. What do they see in you and me? I doubt many of you know this name. I'd never heard of him before, but it's a great story. His name is Franz Moore. Anybody know who that is? Well, Franz Moore once claimed, I play the piano more in Carnegie Hall than anybody else, but I have no audience, which gives you a clue to what he did with his life. Moore was the chief technician for the world-famous piano maker Steinway and & Sons. And last year, in 2022, he passed away at the age of 94 years. And the New York Times in his obituary said this, Sometimes a string would snap or a pedal would need adjusting during a concert. And he would step into the spotlight just for a moment. But he did much of his work alone on that famous stage and others around the world. He might have been mistaken for a pianist trying out a nine-foot grand for a recital until he reached for his tools and began making minute adjustments, giving a, turning, giving a tuning pin a twist or a hammer a slight shave. And for years, he went wherever the pianist went. If they went somewhere in the world to play, he went with them. So when the piano was there, he had to tune the piano just for those special players. And he played and he went before presidents and foreign dignitaries. He also attended to the world's most famous performers, personal pianos in their homes. He would go to their homes and tune their pianos. But he never begrudged taking a backseat to the stars. And his boss, Henry Steinway, said this about him. To understand Franz, one must understand that his Christian faith is at the core of his being and affects everything he says and everything he does. Moore claims that he loved just being a faithful plotter who strove in the words of Jesus to be faithful in the little things. When I heard that story, I thought, you know what? Franz Moore heard Jesus loud and clear at some point in his life. Not so with you. He was around people who were famous and got all the accolades and were number one in the world. And he never thought, I want to be them. Or if he did, he heard the words of Jesus, not so with you. And it started day one of, as his boss said, his Christian faith being at the core of his life and affecting everything he said and everything he did. And I thought when I heard that, I thought, man, what I would want to hear at my funeral is that, that my Christian faith was at the core of my life and affected everything I did and everything that I said. And this is the type of follower that Jesus calls us to be. This is the type of kingdom that Jesus suffered and died for and rose again to bring about. And it's interesting, after he rose, he left and he says, it's up to you. I'm turning this kingdom over to you. And man, what an awesome responsibility we have. And there have been those through the years who have done that 
Because we are sitting here, y'all, do y'all realize we're sitting here today because people took that seriously of developing that kingdom that God always wanted. So maybe there's somebody here today who needs to commit to those words of Jesus. Not so with you. Don't listen to the world. You don't have to be number one. You don't have to be first and make this role reversal for life and become the follower that he has died and rose again for you to be. So if there's somebody here today that needs to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we want to give you that opportunity. And you can be, I was getting ready to say baptized into him, but I just remembered that our baptismal is not working today. (laughs) But if you're ready to make that decision today, we will take your confession and we will set up your baptism for as soon as we can get that thing working again. But that's a decision that you don't want to put off for one day. You want to make this day one. Of following Jesus. Or maybe there's somebody that's looking for a church home. And we are certainly not a perfect church. But we are committed to saying to each other on a regular basis. Not so with you. Not so with us. We're going to be servants in this church to each other. And we're going to be servants in this community and in this world. Because that's what Jesus called us to be. So if you have a decision to make this morning. I'm going to ask you to come as we stand. I'm going to ask the band, the, the praise team to come on up. They're going to lead us. And if you have that decision, you can come when we start this song in a minute. But we're also going to um, have a time of communion. If you've been with us um, for any length of time, you know we do this every week. If you're a guest here today, um, we take communion every Sunday. Not because we're better than any other churches, but we believe that Jesus asked us that when we came together to worship, that we should remember Him and His sacrifice for us. And so we want to do that every time we come together. So if you didn't get the communion, um, there's some baskets on these tables back in the back, and you can go get one of those when the song starts. But we want to reflect on Jesus and what he said about not so with us, that we're to be different. But we want to remember him as we reflect on what he's done for us as we get ready to take communion together. So let's stand and let's sing. And if you have a decision, I'll be right here to walk you through it.